Steve, uh, happy Monday. Glad that um, you're allowing EXO employees to celebrate Labor Day today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, It was funny. I actually had to like, I had to ask Rob, who works for SNS, is like, do we normally take Labor Day off? Because I think this is the the first one in ten years that uh, I'm not out hunting. So yeah, <laughs> uh, what normally happens on Labor Day? Yeah, I don't know. I'm always gone. Uh, good good problem to have, I guess. But yeah, just back from Alaska, obviously, and just hanging out with the the wife and kids here before I uh, take off hunting some more. Yeah, cool. Well, we actually, yeah, we're pre-recording this on Friday, so we aren't working today and enjoying some time outside for sure. Um, but yeah, just want to get into listener questions for this Monday minute and get it out there for you guys. Some of the questions we had are, uh, timely, um, even from recent hunts and things like that. So I thought it'd be fun to, uh, get into that. Um, the first one was, uh, from Landon who is in Idaho and he wrote, I was on an archery mule deer hunt this last week and had a couple questions. I thought I might shoot your way. First is hunting during a full moon. In the last year, I've had few hunts in which there was a f- full moon, and the majority of the hunt, I felt like it dramatically impacted the animals. Recently, my wife were packed in for a four-day hunt. We had a massive, bright full moon the whole hunt. I had been scouting this area last for the last month and had been regularly seeing about 10 bucks in this specific spot with some occasional elk. But in this last four days of hunting, we only saw two bucks, and that was it. Um, he's heard a lot of people talk about animals feeding at night during the bright full moon and then just bedding all day. Has that been your experience as well? How do you adjust hunting plans around a full moon or any other tips for those times? So we've talked, I think more Steve about elk hunting during a full moon's, uh, moon, moon. Um, but I'm curious, what's been your experience specifically like for him? He was hunting mule deer. He had, bucks located for a month and then he goes in there for a four-day hunt and can't locate him um yeah i mean really it doesn't change much for deer or elk um other than it's i guess it's probably even harder hunting early mule deer during a full moon especially if you've got hot days right so if it's uh if he was in idaho it's you know it was hot last week um you know we're here in boise has been 95 the last few days It's, it's plenty warm so the animals are um bedded all day in the shade and then very active at night when they can be especially with that bright full moon it just becomes increasingly important to make sure you are sitting where you want to be like glassing where you've seen those deer you know 20 minutes before you can uh see like um so just be there be waiting and as the sun's starting to come up um you, you're going to get a chance to possibly catch them but Plenty of times those animals have been feeding all night and are already bedded up. So my strategy for hunting mule deer during a full moon uh, is really the critical time is from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. when they're going to be getting out of their beds and feeding. So you need to know where they're bedding, and then you need to be glassing from an angle that you can see into their beds. Um, So you definitely want to be like on the ridge looking down at them, um, one I can specifically remember a buck I killed uh, probably four or five years ago, where it was that exact scenario, bright full moon, midday. I got on this kind of knife ridge, and I literally, there was just beds all down, uh, both sides down below me, about 500 to 1,000 feet, and just how ever the, the terrain was shaped, I could really glass well from the top. Um, and I just literally would walk 10 steps, glass, 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 you know, I could glass for five minutes, glass for 30 minutes, depending on what there was to 
to look at and how much I had to pick apart and then just keep moving. So, um, and you just got to move really slow, if, especially if you don't know where they were bedded, um, so that you're, you're not accidentally jumping something. Um, but that'd be definitely how I would change, you know, and, the, and elk hunting, um, during a full moon, you can just flat out sleep in and then just hunt really hard from, from 10 till five o'clock, you know, cause that's when they're going to be up and feeding, getting out of their beds. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can kind of capitalize on that. I think a lot of guys want to get up early and hunt and they hunt hard for the first few hours and it's slow and they're not finding anything and they just kind of give up for the afternoon. Uh, I know that's what I used to do, you know, early on when I first started hunting and like, oh man, full moon, can't find any animals. Uh, and you kind of burn yourself out there in the morning and you're just you way better off to sleep in and then hunt hard midday. And that's when you're going to turn up the animals. So, yeah, good stuff, man. Um, we had more questions. Uh, that was really helpful. I think from, um, what Landon wrote so far, there's some more he was asking, basically, I'll, I won't read the full thing, but he said he started hiking with trekking poles in the last year or so. Um, and he really enjoyed it, especially on steeper terrain. He's hunting a lot between eight and 10,000 feet there in Idaho. He did say though, that his knees started bugging him going downhill and he actually thought he noticed he was distributing his weight differently using the poles on descents. Hmm. Um, to me, it's the opposite has been for the most part that especially on descents is when I want to use my poles and help distribute weight. And that's particularly more, even if I have a heavy pack, but have you run anything with that, Steve, or do you think maybe changing your gait or something like that, um, that the trekking pole could actually be a negative in any context that you've seen? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah, that seems odd to me. So it, obviously he's doing something that's not natural movement for him when he's going downhill with trekking poles. Um, I don't know what that would be. But yeah, if, if anything, you're just taking strain and, and stress off of your knees, off those joints. Um, so it's, you know, like on the sheep hunt, we, we literally had trekking poles nonstop. Gun was always strapped to the pack. Um, but that type of hunt, you know, you can do that, right? Or it's not like it's not like you're just all of a sudden going to have a sheep at 200 yards and shoot them. Like you're going to know they're there. Um, and uh, and you got to obviously have time to assess and judge them. So, um, but yeah, I would, uh, that doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah, stumped on that one. He had an, one more, and this is kind of a fun one to talk about. Landon said, uh, lastly, my wife has been hunting more and more with me. Do your packs tend to fit women well? She's only 5'3", so I wasn't sure if they would adjust that small. Um, yeah, kind of multiple answer here. One, um, we've had good luck fitting women with our standard pack. Um, the, the adjustment does get short enough for, for most women uh, the downside is that the frame is fixed, right? The shortest we can make it is 24 inches. So it sticks really high above the head. And then the harness is typically too long to where it's, you know, you're basically running out of adjustment there. So I've actually, um, we've got a handful of women out there testing a smaller version of our frame this year that I've been working on the last few months. Um, I think we've got like 30 or so packs out there right now being tested um, really came about from uh, the show season earlier this year. We just had so many women come up to us, come into the booth. Um, they're walking around to all the kind of major pack manufacturers and they hunt hard and they want a real pack. Um, and uh, with the K3 system, it's so modular. I knew how easy it'd be for me to make a few changes to some of the parts and be able to make a, a kind of smaller petite size frame. So it's something that's in the works for us don't 
can't guarantee it'll be around next year, um, but it's something that we're planning on if, if all goes well with the feedback on the samples that are out there right now. Yeah. Cool. It's fun to have that coming for sure. As you said, there's plenty of women running the packs, but we do run into like this guy's a perfect example. His wife's 5'3". It just gets really tough to fit some of those females for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got to build a pack that fits someone from, you know, reality from five six to six four you know you can get that range and so it's just it's tough to when you get below that it's just gonna it's just too big of a frame so yeah all right so we had a unfortunate kind of message from a listener here recently brian um he's making the most of a bad situation but he basically wrote in and said i recently had an unexpected an unexpected twist to my elk season A week and a half from leaving for my trip, my hunting partner twisted his knee at work. It's all swollen up to the size of a grapefruit, and he's not going to be able to go. I've never hunted for elk solo, but I'm familiar with the country. I'm wondering if you guys have any tips for calling or hunting elk when you're solo. I'm looking forward to the challenge. I'm excited to try it out. I've been out there for four years now with hunting elk, but I have yet to seal the deal. So cool, man. I'm kudos to brian um for going solo for sure because there's plenty of guys who wouldn't uh wouldn't step up to the plate and do that especially last minute when you haven't planned for it and prepared for it um and i'll mention up front we have um a couple podcasts i think that would be really helpful to go in depth on um one episode 176 um is called solo elk success and it it gets more into the nitty-gritty of hunting elk solo um, we did talk about some calling stuff and then something very important to keep in mind hunting elk solo is how can you get that sucker out of there um, practically, especially during archery season, you're potentially battling heat, like you need to have a solid plan there. So we talk even about packing out elk solo in that episode. Again, that was a 176. Uh, the other episode's 125 um, and it's just called solo hunting in the backcountry, which you need to know. It's not as elk specific. It's more on just kind of the call it the pros and cons of hunting solo. I talk more about mindsets in that episode, kind of like the unique challenges of hunting solo in the backcountry. Um, so those would be two good ones to check out. But uh, quick advice for Brian, um, Steve, what would you kind of tell him? You know, the Cliff Notes version of hunting elk solo for the first time. Um. Yeah. I mean, I kind of. I, I guess I enjoy doing both. I, I really, uh, I, I plan on going out here soon on a, on a solo trip, you know, go out for a couple of days and, uh, just be on a, a mission to, to get some tasty meat in the freezer. So whatever steps in front of my arrow is going to die. Um, you know, I think from a high level, just make sure you're, um, from a safety high level, make sure, you know, a, you've got an in reach or if you don't have that, if he's been in the area before and he knows where he has cell phone service or not, you know, just kind of plan your hunt around that. You need to be safe while you're out there. Um, highly, highly recommend an inReach if he doesn't have one. If he's got a week and a half, buy one, have it. It's going to, you know, it's just worth it. Um, and, and then, so, and then if you, if you don't though, cell phone service, letting people know where you're going to be, you know, just be safe and smart about that stuff. Things I, I didn't think at all about when I was in my early twenties and you get older and you got kids and obligations and responsibilities, you need to be taking care of that stuff. Um, second, the mental side of it, you know, plan, if he hasn't done a solo hunt before, uh, those first ones can be tricky. Uh, don't quit, don't give up. Um, you know, there's, there's times when it's, you know, you, 
uh, it's dark and you're just hanging around camp and you're by yourself and you're kind of like, you got to uh, embrace that aspect of it because it gets kind of boring at times. Um, you got to be someone who enjoys being alone and don't, don't have to be super social. Um, the hunting side of it, um, I prefer when I'm solo. I do, I just, I hunt the wind. I like hunting country that I know. Um, and I just move quietly through it, use the wind to my advantage, um, and just kind of still hunt. Uh, I haven't had a lot of luck um, calling elk solo. I know it can be done. Uh, Tyler Boschma, like, he's killed a freaking bull every single year, archery, last few years in a row now, uh, solo hunting. Uh, and he's he's got it down. I mean, his kind of strategy, I think, is get in close to where he thinks elk are, and, and he kind of does elk nut strategy of just soft, muted elk sounds, you know, a little cow call here and there, um, you know, breaking branches, uh, raking a tree, and then just kind of hangs out and waits, you know, and, and you just got to be very um, attentive to the terrain and the wind when you're doing that because you don't get the advantage of having that call or, you know, 75 yards behind you to pull the elk past you. You, you got to have, you got to set up so wherever the wind is blowing, that it's very unlikely they're going to come from behind you um, and then have the terrain set up so that they do have to come within 50 yards to see what's making those sounds. So, um, yeah, lot, lots of strategies employ there. Like I said, for me, I just, um, I like to be in country. I know I like, you know, midday where I know bedding grounds are, or even if I'm not in country, I know I'm, I'm looking at the topo, looking at the quad sheets, looking for benches that got shade and water and feed in there. And then I'm just going to find what direction the wind's blowing, uh, work into the wind and just take my time moving through that slowly. You know, I think you can, when you're in area where you're seeing a lot of sign, a really good strategy is just stop, sit down and just hang out for an hour and, and let the woods kind of come back alive and you'd be surprised, you know, what walks by you. So, mm, cool. Uh, he had kind of a second part, different topic, but Brian was also, um, saying another first for me this year will be sleeping in a hammock. Uh, our biggest struggle every year is to find a flat spot to camp. So I figured I might as well try out the hammock, especially since this will be an early September hunt before it gets too cold. I do have tents along for backup, but if you have any insight on hammock camping, I would love to hear about it. Uh, again, we have a previous episode that's kind of an in-depth discussion on that. Um, it's episode 168. It's called Hammock Camping the Right Way um, and really answers all the questions um, about hammock camping. Again, like I would just point out too, he's saying this is early September before it gets too cold, but being the mountains, like don't count on it. It can get cold, um, obviously. And cold is like a relative term when you're talking about hammock camping if you don't have proper insulation it can be pretty mild but still very easy to get cold sleeping in a hammock if you're not using um like an under quilt and so i don't mean just a sleeping bag in your hammock but um, an actual under quilt that's designed for hammocks is going to be critical even in relatively mild temperatures um, i don't typically use a hammock for hunting i've slept them in i've slept in them a fair amount for uh, other backpacking and camping uh, it's just not my preferred um, choice for most western hunting in the mountains but yeah it'd be interesting to uh, see how it goes for you brian and uh, even actually my buddy jared we're getting ready to take off on an elk hunt here 
in Colorado, and he's running a hammock setup this year. So we'll see if he freezes his butt off or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. my limited experience was was early on in backpacking, and I just froze my butt off. Uh, but I I don't even know if the under quilts existed at that point, or if they did, it wasn't you know widely known like it is now. So yeah, um, loved a lot of it. I wish, um, you know, if if there was weight savings there, I'd be really intrigued by it. But I you just can't get a lighter setup than than what I'm running now with my bivy sack tarp and and quilt and pad. So yeah, uh, I I guess I'd say to him. If he doesn't like the hammock and, you know, same thing along the lines of it's hard to find a place to pitch a tent, that's where the, the bivy sack and tarp combo has just been phenomenal because uh, you can just – it's pretty easy to find, a, a you know, a, even a game trail that's kind of 12 inches wide. You, you kick out a little bit wider, uh, throw your pad and your bivy sack down, and, and you got a place to sleep, and you can pitch that tarp just about anywhere. You don't need flat ground. Um, the tarp I use, I just, you know, I tie that thing to brush and trees and use rocks and doesn't matter what the slope is. You can get coverage from the rain. So, um, that's been my go-to and, uh, it's a phenomenal system. And then, you know, more, I'd say 75, 80% of September nights here in Idaho, it's clear skies. I don't even bother throwing the tarp out. We just sleep under the baby sack and, you know, if, um, benefit of having the in reach is you can check weather, you know, I check it daily, check it before bed and, oh yeah, 0% chance of rain. No, no need to put the tarp out tonight or, oh man, it's supposed to start raining at 4am. I, I better, better put it out. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, I think the hammocks are viable for sure with call it the advances, the changes under quilts, things like that. I have slept them in cold weather for me. It's just exactly what you said, Steve, by the time you do, your body insulation, a quilt or sleeping bag, the hammock, the underquilt, suspension, some sort of tarp. Um, like you just, you end up carrying as much weight bulk, if not more, um, than a lightweight shelter setup. So yes, it makes sense for what Brian, you mentioned of being in steep country and if that's been troublesome. Um, but just, yeah, from that weight and space savings, there's not too much there. Comfort can be great too. Like some guys with back issues, um, mm-hmm. that even with a, a good sleeping pad still don't sleep well on the ground. Like a hammock could be a game changer there for sure. Our last, uh, camping trip, Steve, our family camping trip. I took the, uh, the shelter I'm going to be running in September and I was like, Oh, I'll just get, you know, as many nights in it as possible. Um, and we showed up at the camping, uh, trip and I got all the kids set up and I thought, Oh, I'll go throw my tent up. Realized I didn't bring trekking poles and it's a pole supported tent. Well, <laughs> so, I never like I didn't think about packing them as part of the tent because I when I'm backpacking I always have trekking poles right so it's never right. like oh I need my trekking poles for the tent but because this was just a family camping trip I realized I didn't have trekking poles therefore couldn't set up my shelter uh, you know I could tie it out or get clever or something but we do we always take a hammock camping just to hang out in and um, like my daughter will sit and read in it during the day so I just slept in the hammock but I didn't have a under quilt or anything so thankfully it was mild but yeah they are comfortable man yeah i want to revisit that sometime you know just just try it out on a, a quick 24 48 hour trip you know and if it's if i sleep like crap it's only one night and you deal with it you know yeah, yeah. um max wrote in asking uh, about post rut elk hunting he said i recently came across the podcast after seeing it mentioned on reddit and i've been an active listener ever since it is really beneficial to find a to find an answer to a question I might have in the form of an hour or so discussion. 
So the one question I haven't been able to find an answer for is about hunting post-rut elk into late September and into October. Um, he says, are you calling? Are you up high? Are you down low? Are you just trying to cover as much country as possible? Thanks for any guidance. Um, we do have an episode about post-rut elk specifically way back in the archives. It's episode 55, so that would be a good one to dig up. And we talk specifically in that whole episode about hunting elk after the rut. Um, the other thing I'd mention is we're doing that a bit more this year, Steve, is we both have that uh, rifle tag that's going to be mid to late October. So we will... You know, we can talk before that hunt and obviously after that hunt about our experiences and comparisons because we've both hunted elk much more uh, in September than later in the year. Um, so yeah, more to come, but episode 55 is a good one to check out for sure. Um, I was surprised, Steve, that he mentioned he heard that he came across the podcast on Reddit. Yeah. Um, that surprised me. So I searched for like Hunt Back Country podcast and Reddit and found the thread Um and I had to laugh because one of the comments, I forget how the podcast came up, but then one of the replies to that was like basically saying, um, yeah, that's a good show too. And then he specifically, this guy quoted about our show and said, the hosts can be a little dry, but they have amazing content and they also get pretty awesome guests. <laughs> so weird dry, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. You know, didn't like shock me by any means, but, <laughs> <laughs> but at least we have amazing content and good guests yeah perfect yeah um cool yeah one more quick one we'll hit uh just to wrap it up this was also from a recent hunt a guy was kind of uh wrestling with um he was hunting in the nevadas uh northern california there hunting mule deer um he says i know that the most productive times to glass are in the morning and i know you should try to get reasonably high on the hill slash mountain so you can class more area but in the mornings, I've experienced noticeable air currents moving downhill, which I imagine would spook any game below what you're trying to glass. How do you reconcile glassing up high in the morning and keeping your scent from reaching the animals you are glassing? Um, so maybe hit on your glassing setups and the interaction of thermals in the morning, Steve. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it, right? Those two are competing with each other. Um, typically, I'm not glassing straight below me. Uh, you know, you're, you're up on a ridge and you're, you're glassing out and away from you, not down below you. So, you know, you, per, you try to, when I'm, I guess I have a strategy that how I access country, you know, try to access it. I mean, you got to compete with like the easiest way to get in there and also the, the best way to get in there with spooking the least amount of game, but it, no matter what you're in the woods, your scent is out there, you're spooking game, you, you know, you just do your best to limit it. Um, so yeah, for me, it's, you know, if I can come up from the backside of a ridge that's, you know, doesn't look very gamey and then, and then peek over the ridge and then glass into a bowl basin that, that I think is going to hold deer, that'd be my preferred method. Sometimes you just can't do that. Sometimes the country on both sides looks good. So, you know, you're never going to be perfect. You're going to spook game, your sense out there. Um, just do your best to limit it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this uh, Monday. I hope that uh, many of you guys are catching this episode late because you're actually out hunting today. So that'd be awesome. As always, you can reach us via email. Just send uh, in a message to podcast at xmountaingear.com. 
whether that's a question for a future show, that'd be great, or just a message or photos about your hunts going on this September, that'd be great to hear about as well. So talk to you soon, and as always, thanks for tuning in.